I know this is not a news flash, okay? It is spring. It is the season of new life. It is the season of planting gardens. For those of you who have cattle, it is the season for new birth. It is the season for new birth in the world of nature when it comes to the wild animals as well. As probably all too many of us know, it is the time of new life when it comes to the flowers, and the trees, and the foliage. We know this by our sinuses. Um, we also understand that it is that time of year where next weekend there will be a celebration of the Ishtar holiday as it was originally intended, a celebration of fertility and new life and spring and those sorts of things. Kind of tuck that all aside for a moment. Tonight, we are going to continue with our focus on the Apostle John. This morning, we talked about John, the Apostle of Life, and tonight we are going to entitle the sermon, John, the Apostle of Life, Part Two. You know, there are certain words that are associated with certain apostles. There are certain nicknames, if you will, or terms that automatically bring to mind certain apostles. We know from the scripture and was, as was mentioned in this morning's lesson, that James and John were called the sons of thunder. It is often said in our brotherhood that the apostle Paul was the apostle of grace because he used that word grace so many, many, many times. We think of the apostle John and typically we refer to the apostle John as the apostle of love because he wrote so much about that topic. But John was also known, or is also known, as the apostle who was consumed with, or is recognized as having as one of his top priorities, our understanding also, not just of love, but our understanding of the essentiality of belief. John was the apostle or an apostle who was ultimately consumed with belief in Jesus Christ, in belief in Jesus as the son of the living God. Most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John emphasized belief a lot. In John 17, 20 and 21, John records for us these words from Jesus, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. John was big on the word believe. In fact, if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 20, if you would do that, please, we will note another focus in on belief by John. In John chapter 20, beginning at verse 24, we read these words, recorded again by John by divine inspiration. John 20, 24, now Thomas called the twin, one of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see 
in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I, I will not believe. Thomas just could not bring himself to believe that Jesus, this Jesus whom he'd seen crucified and dead and buried, was truly alive. He just couldn't bring himself to believe that. And it says in verse 26, after eight days, his disciples, that is Jesus' disciples, were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst of them and said, peace to you. And he said to Thomas, don't you love the Lord's patience? The Lord knew what Thomas needed. And, and who we often call doubting Thomas, Thomas needed to believe. And, and Thomas said, I can't unless. And Jesus said, okay, okay. He said, reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And again, John's focus on believing. And as we look at these beautiful promises, he Jesus was talking about you and me. Jesus had in mind us when he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We haven't seen Jesus. We haven't stuck our, our fingers into the holes. We haven't, we haven't put our hand in his side. But he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And John goes on to write further in verse 30, truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And, and so John comes right out and tells you, the whole point I wrote, he says, is so you'd believe. John was the apostle of belief. But yet, there's another word. There's another word that is seen throughout the gospel according to John, as well as 1 John, a total of 62 times, 62 times. Now, if you're gonna use the word 62 times, it's pretty well something that you would be known for, wouldn't you say? It is a word that lies at the heart and soul of some of the most encouraging and well-known texts from John as well. And it's a word that we're gonna look at tonight. It's a word that you and I need to be acutely aware of. It's, it's a word that we need to make sure that we lay a hold of and hang on to in every way possible because it is truly a matter of eternal life and death. What's that other word? John's the apostle of love. He's the apostle of belief if you wanna focus in on what he focused in on. But what's that other word that lies at the center of so many of John's writings, the truth? that he wants to convey to you and I so he can save our souls, so that Jesus can save our souls. What is that word that John's gospel is so full of that we so much need to take a hold of? Look again in John chapter 20, in verse 31. It's the whole, yeah, John wrote these things so that you would believe, but that believing is supposed to lead to something. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life. John is the apostle of life. This morning, we looked at John's life. Tonight, we're going to look at life in the book of John. Life flows through John's gospel like, like well, like that pure 
crystal clear river that he writes about in Revelation 22 in verse 1. That crystal clear river that, that flows from the throne of God. That life flows through John's gospel same way, like, like this river, this incredible river. And I want us to take a look at some of these texts tonight because John wrote so that you'd believe and so that the result of your belief would be that you could have eternal life. I want to begin in the very beginning of John's gospel. Turn to me to chapter 1. And, and I, I give you this lesson tonight because I want to encourage you. I want to, you know, so many people, so many people in our world, they think that this life is it. This is it. And even if their life is a disaster, even if they look for their satisfaction in things that cannot please and things that will destroy them, their lives are miserable. But, but Jesus wants you and I not just to have eternal life, but he wants us to have a good life while we're here. And this life just flows through this gospel. It starts right out. John tells you all about it when he starts out. He says in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Here we go. In him was life. This life was in Jesus. And the life was the light of men. God created life, didn't he? And Jesus was there. That's why God said in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image. This life was in Jesus, and, and life was breathed into this world that he created. Turn with me to John 3. Again, John 3.16, one of the most well-known passages in all of the Bible, probably the most well-known, and yet, think about this. Have you ever thought about it in just the life aspect? That, that, that this life that he talked, John 3.16 is not an island. It's not, it's not disassociated from the rest of the gospel nor the rest of the Bible. It, it's part of this flowing river of life that the gospel of John is for you and I. In John 3, beginning at verse 14, it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's going to be lifted up on a cross that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have life. That's not what it says, is it? See, Jesus doesn't want, he wants us to have life, but he doesn't just want us to have life. He wants us to have eternal. I can't, I, I'm, I'll, I'll go off my notes here a minute. I cannot define eternity for you. I cannot begin to comprehend eternity. We live in a world where everything rots, everything gets old. You know, you, you buy a new car, you buy a new house, you buy a new smartphone, and you know what? Uh, you know, 100 years from now, it's going to be, well, you know. I can't fathom a world where things don't grow old. We sing that song, Never Grow Old. Can, can you get your mind around? I can't. And Jesus wants us to have not just life, but, but eternal life. For God, see, John 3.15 flows right into 16. 16 is not an island. Verse 15 again, that whoever believes in him should not perish. I don't have to perish, but have eternal life. For God, here's the reason why, so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This passage is all about life. And it's not limited to just this passage. Look in John chapter 4. We all know John 4. We know about the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, we know the story. But 
again, this, this river, and I want you to picture this river. I don't care if you, you picture the Arkansas River or, or some other river. I, the Arkansas River is not clear, and, as you know, but stay with me here. You know, it winds here and there and everywhere, and this, this life, life, like this big, beautiful river flows through everything that, that John says in so many places. In John chapter 4, in this context, again, rather than just being about the woman at the well, it's about life. It's about life that anybody can have. If they will but come to him, John 4, verse 12 through 14, read as follows. She said, Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. It's just it's physical water, you're going to get thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But that water that I shall give him will, will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Do you have life? I'm not asking you, are you alive? I'm asking you, do you have life? Can, is, that, is that eternal life just something that, that gushes in you and, and you just are so grateful to have it that it becomes in you? This, this fountain, this fountain that, that just, you spill it out everywhere to everybody because you're so grateful that, that when your time comes to leave this earth, your life isn't over. In John chapter 5, beginning at verse 21, we read the following. And, and I want to take you on this trip beside of the river of life tonight through the Gospel of John. Have you ever had one of those moments when you're just beside of a very calm, flowing river. You can hear the water on the rocks, you hear the birds in the trees, sun's out, beautiful day, and there's just so much calm, so much peace, and it's like, man, why can't I just stay here? In the Gospel of John, there's a river of life flowing through, and it's meant to bring you peace no matter where you are in this life. In John 5, we see this river continue to flow down through in verse 21, it says this. For the Father raises the dead and gives life to them. As the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. We've all been to funerals. We've all known people who have died. And it is unfathomable on any earthly level that the dead can be raised except for the fact that Jesus did it. He did it. Your Lord, that Lord whom you are in, if you are in Christ, he did it. Widow of Nain's son, Lazarus, the little girl, and most incredibly, himself. He said in John 10, I have the power to lay down my life and take it up again. He has the power to give life to whom he will, and, and he spread out his hands on that cross. And he said, all you've got to do is come to me. And if we come to him in faithful obedience, we can have this, this life. It's incredibly refreshing, and it gives me peace. No matter where my path winds, that river of life is there through the Gospel of John. As we read on in verses 24 through 29, we read this of chapter 5. Most assuredly, listen, when Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, I mean, Jesus doesn't have to say most assuredly. If Jesus says, look, I'm telling you, but he says, most assuredly, I tell you, he who hears my word and believes, here's John's, one of John's favorite words, in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into 
life. I, I don't know what Judgment Day is going to be like. I, I don't. Jesus didn't give us this, this every detail type picture of what it's going to be like. We see a few little glimpses of it, you know, as best we can understand it from places like Revelation 20. But, but in my head, I, I picture Judgment Day as, as each person coming before God. And we all know that one sin can separate us from God. And, and we know that God reads the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And he knows each one of us. And in my mind, the way I picture Judgment Day, I see us all coming before God, the whole world, everybody that's ever lived. Hades will give up the dead that's in them. The sea will, will give up the dead. And, and we'll all be before the throne of God. And, and I don't believe that's necessarily literal, but, but this is what John saw, literally. But as people come before him and their sins are, are posted, or, or God tells them, because God knows them all. Let me ask you a question. If you're, and, and if you're there that day, really, Doug? <laughs> when you get there that day, if it is this thing where, where one at a time we move forward, and, and I don't know that we'll be, but I'm trying to draw a human picture, and, and you watch the people in front of you, and their sins are hung out, and they, Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you, and you can, you can see them escorted or dragged or whatever, or however that's all gonna work off into hell, and, and, that's going to be scary enough, even if you're Christian, agreed? But I can't imagine what it would be like standing there. I, I don't want my mind to try to get around what it would be like to stand there and have every sin. But because of Jesus, I don't have to. The incredible thing here is that if we hear his word, verse 24, and believe in him, not just saying, yeah, I believe him, but really believe in him, believe in him enough to obey him, who sent me has everlasting life. And did you notice the tense? Has, not will have, has, present tense, everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment. I don't have to worry about when I'm the next one in line. Because my sins are covered by the red blood of Jesus Christ. And I have passed from death into life. He goes on from there in this particular text and says, most assuredly I say to you the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Don't marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and he'll come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection. Condemnation. Once again, we see that word life. We move on to chapter 5 and verse 39. Look what it says. He says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. Listen, you can know the Bible inside and out. You can know it forward, backward, have it memorized, know every Greek meaning, but if you don't come to Jesus because of what you learned in the scriptures, you can't have eternal life. A tape recorder can know the word of God enough to spit it back at you. But if we know him, and if we know his word and we, we live for him, he says again in, in verse 39, we've got to come to him because of what we learn in the scriptures. And he said, but you're not willing to. 
that come to me that you may have life in verse 40. In chapter 6, John uses the word life 11 times. I don't have that many. I, you have to picture one toe, okay? I don't, I don't have that many digits here. But John uses the word life 11 times as he relates how Jesus desperately seeks to convince those around him that he is the bread of life that they have to take into their hearts. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't work enough for it. You've got to take Jesus in if you ever want to go to heaven. John chapter 6, look in verse 35. Verse 35, and Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He's not the bread of death. He's not the bread of, of he's the bread of life. And he says, he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Verse 40, this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Listen, when Jesus said, I will, this is why I hate it when Christians walk around and, and you know, faithful Christians and, and they're trying to live in the light and, and they're doing their best to live for God and they're confessing their sins and, and you ask them, are you going to heaven? I, 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 I don't know. Listen, if, you don't, if you're living like that and you don't know, you didn't listen to what Jesus just said. Did you see what he just he said? And I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus said, I'm going to do that. Listen. How many people have tried to stop Jesus when he was here in the flesh from doing what he said he was going to do? How many succeeded? Not like, that's good, but like zero. Jesus said, I will. I will raise him up. We look down in verses 47 through 51. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Now, don't you love how many times the present tense is used? I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. When we come together on Sunday mornings and we gather around the table, and I realize right now that our containers are broken down individually prior to that. I understand, but we're still partaking of the bread, the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. To me, this is at least applicable to that. It doesn't just mean if we show up and take it that we'll live forever, but everything that that involves, everything that, that, that circulates around that. And, and are you noticing the, the absolute assurance here? Jesus is leaving, no doubt, and, and I think sometimes we just need to read through this, wade through this river of life in the Gospel of John. When we get down, when we get desperate, when we think that, I don't know. In verses 53 and 4 of this same chapter, look what he says. He says, most assuredly, how many times has Jesus got to say this? Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Have you ever heard one of those songs sung where, you know, there aren't that many words, and it seems like they repeat the chorus like 14 times just to make the song three minutes long. You ever heard one of those? It just over and over. I played songs on the stereo. Karen said, well, that wasn't a real difficult song to learn. <laughs> Jesus is over and over and over 
saying, assuredly, I say to you, I will give that person life. They have life. I will raise him up. We would simply also point out verses 63 and 68 very quickly that say this. 63 and 68. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Listen, you're not going to find eternal life anywhere but in this book. There's nothing this world has to offer that's going to give this life to you. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We continue to John 10, and we look at another spot in this river, this wonderful river of encouragement of life. In John 10, look at verses 9 through 11, talking about the good shepherd. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Are you in Christ? If you are in Christ, you have entered by him, through him, through his blood. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Listen, Jesus wants you to have eternal life. And he, he's telling you that if you're his and you belong to him and you follow him like you ought to, you have, not will have, not might have, not may, you have eternal life. Sometimes we're afraid. Have you ever been afraid to believe that? I think sometimes we're a little, I don't know. Well, listen, either Jesus was telling the truth or he wasn't. And for one who claims to be the way, the truth, and the life, he kind of has to be telling the truth, doesn't he? Now, I'm not talking about cheap grace. I'm not talking about, well, I'm saved. I can go do it. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. And as we, we think about that here, not only does he want us to have eternal life, he wants us to have life more abundantly. Uh, question, and, and I don't expect an answer, but where's your, do you have abundant life? Do you have a full, and I don't mean schedule-wise, do you have a full, joyous, abundant, contented, peace-filled in Jesus' life? Because Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I want, I want them to have fullness. And sometimes our lives are lacking, and, and we wonder why. Well, it isn't because Jesus didn't give us an abundant life. It's sometimes we lose our focus. In verses 27 and 8, as we have talked about before, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Long as we're following him and listening to him and obeying him and going where he tells us to go, we have eternal life. Nobody can take us out of his hand as well, long as we're listening to him. It's that simple. And doing what he said to do. We move on to another very well-known section of scripture in John 11. Raising of Lazarus. Look at verses 25 and 6. Jesus said to her, I am. Not only is he the bread of life, he says, I am the resurrection. Listen. If you ain't got Jesus, you ain't got the resurrection. If Jesus is the resurrection, and he said he was, and he is, and you don't have Jesus, you don't have the resurrection. You don't have the life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Listen, I'm not talking to her. I'm talking to you. Do you believe this? Do you? Or don't you dare? 
You better dare. Are we supposed to trust Jesus? Are we? Trusting Jesus is more than saying, yeah, I trust you. And he says, I'm telling you that if you listen to me, I am the resurrection and the life, and we read all of these texts, then we need to trust him. And we, we, just keep, we just keep going down this beautiful river. Look in John chapter 12, look in verses 24 through 26. It's all over the place. You can't escape it. You can't miss it. It's awesome. Jesus said, John 12, 24, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. If it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. When a person says, you know what, I know I can't do this on my own, and, and, and I'm willing to put everything in my life behind me to serve Jesus. That's the person who has eternal life. He says, look in verses 48 through 50 of chapter 12 as well. He says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word I have spoken will judge him in the last day. I, I haven't come, I haven't spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. And I know, Jesus said, I know that his commandment is everlasting life. Jesus said, I'm going to do what God said because I know. I know. God in the flesh said, I know. God's command is everlasting life. In John 14, 6, as we've already said, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Look in John 17 what we often call the, the high priestly prayer. And, and I know there's a lot of text here tonight, and I know there's not a lot of illustration. I'm not into illustration tonight. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you never to look at the Gospel of John the same way again. I want to encourage you tonight to understand every time that you go into the book of John, it's like, it's like taking a walk beside of this beautiful, tranquil, sunlit, beautiful river of life because that's what John's gospel has flowing through it from beginning to end. In John 17, again, a very familiar passage. Jesus, getting ready to pray, spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, verse 1, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life. Listen, you want to know what it is? Jesus is going to tell you. This is eternal life. Right here. This is where it's all at. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing God is different from knowing about God. I know about a lot of things, some things I've never seen. I know about the Grand Canyon, but I have never experienced it, known it by being there. I have never been to Alaska. I have never been to Hawaii. I know about them. I know about Diamond Head. I know about some of those things, but I have not experienced it, taken it in, breathed it, touched it, been there, experienced it. And this is what he's talking about. Eternal life is to truly know God, not just to know about him. And how do we know God? Jesus said the words that I give you. They're life. They're life. And again, the whole point of John's writing his gospel account, John 20, verses 30 and 31, that we've already covered, is that we might believe, and that by believing, we might have life. If you go to the book of 1 John, and I'm going to ask you to do that, you'll see the same thing. Do you know, 
in just those five short chapters of 1 John, it's a very short little book. You know how many times John uses the word life? 15. Yeah, yeah, John was the apostle of, of life, as it were. In 1 John, we're just going to look at a couple of them real quick and then close. He uses the word life 15 times in 12 verses in five short chapters. Remember how he started his gospel? Talking about the life. John 1, 1 through 3. Guess how he starts 1 John? Talking about the life. 1 John 1, 1 through 3. Look at it. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested. This Jesus, this God, who created all life, who was there and created life in the beginning, he became manifest or known. This life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested or made known to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that an awesome statement? John said, we're, we're in fellowship. <laughs> we're in fellowship with God. We're, we're, we're there with God. We're there with Christ because this life he made known to us, Jesus, the word of life, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. We saw him. We know him. We experienced him. And he says, so we're, we're, and we're with him. And he says, if you're with us in what we wrote, we apostles, if you're with us in the word, your fellowship's with us, our fellowship's with him. Guess who yours is with? Him. He said, we're just the hitch, just the connector. He goes on in chapter 2 to say this in verse 15. He says, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Again, a very familiar passage, and we don't often think about it in terms of life, but, but look at the rest of it. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God, here we go, abides or lives forever. You see in the rest of the river? See in the rest of the river? It flows through this text that we often use to talk about not loving the world, but it's even included there. And it can get rocky when you love the world. And you may picture this, this stream of, of the word life running through John's writings. It's maybe coming to this little place where the water falls over the rocks or however you want to picture it. But the bottom line is, even in this passage about not loving the world, he talks about the contrast of life and how to have it. We move on to chapter 3, verses 13 through 16 in 1 John. Look what he says. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Now, this is a text that we often turn to to talk about the persecution that we'll face as Christians sometimes. But even this text, there's that river of life flowing through it. And when I talk about the river of life, I'm not talking about the one in Revelation. I'm talking about this thread of the word life that winds through his writings. But look what he says. In verse 13, he says, Don't marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know. Can a Christian know? I've already brought this up once. You've heard me talk about it before. Can we know? Can we? Do you? They can't see you nodding on. That's okay. So you don't have to be afraid to nod. John said, this isn't Jesus talking. This is John by divine inspiration. I understand. But he says, we know. 
John, what do we know? We know that we have passed. It's already done. He's talking to those in Christ. He said it's already done. We know that we have passed, past tense, from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Can we know? Yes, we can know. But part of that knowing is loving our brothers and sisters. We don't love our brothers and sisters if we don't love that brother or that sister. All of a sudden, that puts us knowing in doubt, don't it? Mm-hmm. But we can still know. We know we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He goes on in verse 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Yeah, we can know. The tragic part is we can know in our hearts that we may be in extreme danger if we don't love that brother or that sister. And by love, I'm not talking about lip service. Finally, in chapter 5 of 1 John, we see this. Verse 10, he who believes, and again, not just simply a belief, the Bible defines belief as a belief that is willing to obey because it believes strongly enough to do that. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. What is that testimony, John? He said, I'll tell you what it is, verse 11. And this is the testimony that God has, past tense, given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. This is kind of the wrap up of, of what I'll cover tonight with John and it's a fitting end to the entire lesson. Two or three things here real quick. Have you ever maybe placed a bid on a house or a car or you've wanted to apply to a certain school, a college, or there's something that you've done and, and the outcome is in doubt and you really worry about it? You, maybe it's a doctor's test and you've had something tested. And so for days you go through this process of wondering how it's all going to turn out, how it's all going to end. You wonder if you come out on the right side of it. And, and this text in verse 11 says, we don't have to do that with eternal life. He says, God has given it to us. We don't have to wonder if we're gonna have it. He, he's given it to us. It's, it's a past tense thing. But it's only in his son. It's only if you're in Christ. If you're somebody here tonight and you've heard the gospel and you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and you believe that we ought to do everything he says, you need to be willing to repent of your sins and, and confess him as Lord, and, and you need to be baptized into Christ because this eternal life is only found in Jesus. And if you ain't in Jesus, you ain't got it. I don't mean to be harsh. I mean to be biblical. But you need to understand that. He goes on to say, he who has the Son has life. He who doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe, believe, that's one of his words, 
in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. John ends his gospel in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, telling how these things are written that you may believe so you can have life. Same way he ends 1 John. These things are written to you that you may know. I've written to you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You see, some will know that they have eternal life, but over the course of time, somewhere along the line, they don't continue. We need to continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And so tonight, as we get ready to close, I feel maybe a little bit like in my mind, I picture Jesus might have felt when he said in John 5, 6 to the man who was crippled, do you want to be well? Do you want to be made well? I, I feel that this is a similar question. Let me ask you, do you want to live? Do you want to live? Do you want to live forever? Do you want eternal life? There's, there's only one place we find it. So tonight, let me begin with our earthly life. Do you have life? Some people, you know the old saying, once upon a time way back when, get a life, right? <laughs> have you got one? Have you got the abundant life that Jesus died to give you, a life that's full of hope? a life that is just full of abundance and joy because you have eternal life. You have an earthly life that is abundant because you have an eternal life that you can know. Do you have that? Do you listen to and abide in his word, taking it deep into your heart and soul at every opportunity you get, getting to know God better so that you can live with him forever? Do you not only hear, but also do what Jesus said so that nobody can snatch you out of his hands and take away your eternal life? Do you absolutely know for certain tonight, based on God's word, not based on your performance? Because quite frankly, your performance and my performance is all the same. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, no disrespect, but none of us deserve to go to heaven. Do you absolutely know that you have eternal life according to this? Do you know? Because if you don't know, according to this, that you have eternal life, do not put your life in danger by leaving this building until you can know. If you need to be baptized so that you can know, baptized into Christ where life is, we'd love to do that tonight. If you're somebody who's already been baptized into Christ but, but you're not continuing with Jesus or, or there's something else that is really clouding you up or messing you up or weighing you down, maybe you haven't believed enough to obey his commandments Please, don't remain still in the pews and dead in your sins. But come to the front to be born again of the water and the spirit. Put that old man of sin to death and be raised up to walk in newness of life. That life is in Jesus. Don't you want it? Don't you want it? You're not in Christ, you need to be. And if you are in Christ, then you need more life, need the prayers of the church to help you enjoy that abundant life more. Whatever we can do so that you walk out of this building tonight knowing that you have eternal life, please come right now and we will respond as you do.